Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to St. Matthew's this morning, uh, both to those of you who are here in the building and those of you who are joining us uh, at home. It's wonderful to see you. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is good news. So Psalm 105 says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, praise, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. Shall we open our singing this morning by standing and joining together with Fill Thou My Life, O Lord, with praise. and by whose love we are redeemed. Give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness. 
In his name we pray. Amen. And while you're still standing, let's say together the words of the Apostles' Creed uh, with a really joyful sense in our hearts because as we recite the Creed, we're really reciting the story of God's dealings with the human race, which is good news. So let's say it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a warm welcome again uh, to those of you who've joined us this morning, both here in the building and online. It's uh, wonderful to see you. I don't know whether you get bonus points for turning up on a miserable day like this, battling all the weather, but um, it is good to be together, isn't it? And we've got something worthwhile to do as we come together as God's people. As uh, this morning we'll be hearing from our senior minister, Bruce Clark, uh, who'll be speaking to uh, the, the topic of uh, Australian Christianity. What's, um, what's the gospel got to say in a world where the latest census is showing that there's a diminishing number of people who even identify as religious, uh, let alone Christian? Uh, um, how do we respond to that as his people? And so that's something to really look forward to uh, later on uh, during the service. Uh, we'll also be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. For those, of you, you, for those of you who are at home, that'll be towards the end of the service. So if you don't yet have some bread and a little cup with you, uh, it'd be good to organise that. Uh, welcome to those of you who are guests with us. We really, we really enjoy having uh, guests here with us at St Matthew's. We trust your time with us. You'll find is enjoyable and really worthwhile. And uh, please know that there's, um, we'll serve morning tea across the courtyard in the function room straight after the service. We'd be very glad if you joined us. I should have mentioned, by the way, that my name's Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. It's lovely to have you here. Uh, Trish is going to come and lead us in prayer. Thanks, Trish. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to start with Psalm 46, which I think is very apt for today. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that we are your beloved children because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. It is in his name we pray today. Father, we pray for all those who continue to be affected by the heavy rain and floods, some for the fourth time this year. Lord, give them relief, support, and safe places to live as they struggle to get through chaos and loss. Please give them and the support workers strength and encouragement in the mess. And please give them your peace, which surpasses all understanding. This week it's been Nidoc week. At the end of this week, we thank you for the abundant blessings we have in Australia. But with grief, we acknowledge the long history of damage in the relationship between the Indigenous people 
and later arrivals to this land. Father, we thank you for the Indigenous leaders who have managed to rise above the hurt and pain. We especially ask that you continue to grow in love and healing, Christians among our native people. We ask for greater understanding and empathy amongst all people in Australia as to the generational damage that has occurred in our native culture. We know our ultimate hope is in you and that your, only your son, Jesus Christ, can reconcile the world to yourself. With this in mind, we specifically ask for our indigenous people. We ask that you bring healing where there is brokenness, reconciliation where there is hostility, and blessing and love where it seems absent. For our mission partner today, we pray for David Falcon in his rose, in his role of raising up support, supporting gospel workers through serving in Mission Australia. Please give his team discernment and intuition as they have discussions with students exploring mission at the Mission Aware Awareness Week at Moore College later this month. Please help David and his wife Michelle in their plans to visit and support SIM workers in South America next year. Please give them wisdom and provisions in order that they can be all be refreshed and encouraged in their work for the gospel. We'll now give an opportunity for, for us all to pray for people in need. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power, your patience and love, your mercy and justice. Forgive us our misdoings, misunderstandings, and our ignorance to people in need. Enable us by your spirit to honor you in our thoughts, words, and actions, and to serve you in every aspect of our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. We'll now catch up on some news from around St Matthews with our video news. And following that, we'll sing together so you could stand straight after uh, the video. Um, and that'll also be our offertory hymn. Come along to our new members course that we're calling On Board. We've revamped the way that we integrate people into the life of our church with the scoop, which is kind of like a first date, if you like. But the onboard course is really the new key component by which we hope to help people move from attending a service here to belonging and contributing to the life of our fellowship. We've already trialled onboard once with our growth group leaders and we've made some significant changes based on their feedback. But as we roll the course out, the next step is for all of our existing members to do the onboard course as well as newcomers. So we've planned three sessions in the Darley Smith Auditorium in the first week of Term 3 for you to jump on board. There's Tuesday evening, the 19th of July, Wednesday evening, the 20th of July, and then Thursday morning, the 21st of July. Now, can I put it like this? I'm not so much inviting you as I am really asking you whether you're in a growth group or not, whether you've been with us for decades and dec decades or just a few Sundays, join us for one of those sessions in July. If you're new with us, it'll be especially useful for you to find out how to make that transition from attending a service to contributing as a member. 
But if you're a long-term St. Matt's person, I also think it'll be useful and clarifying for you. And we're also hoping that you might be able to tell us what you think. So I look forward to seeing you on board. Can I also let you know that next Sunday, July the 17th, Archbishop Kanishka Raphael will be joining us across uh, all the services that Sunday. He is the very affable heavyweight champion of the diocese, the numero uno, the grand poobah. So having, I hope I can say that, so having him here in person is a treat you won't want to miss. And then lastly, I just want to say that if you're with us for the first time or you would like to get in touch in any way, you can access our online connect card via the QR code on the little cards in the seats in front of you. And we would be especially keen for you to do that if we can help you out in any way. Well, that's it from me. Over and out. Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40, and will be found on page 1085 of the Church Bible. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. 
So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others ask, talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it to you? What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time of the fast Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Here is the reading. Good morning, everyone. Well, last year on the 10th of August, I don't know if you remember what you were doing, but Australia stopped and filled in the National Census Questionnaire. I mean, such a highlight every five years. Um, I did it online for the first time. Um, and, you know, we all just obediently do it. We're like that as Australians, and we're happy to do that. And um, every now, every five years now as a country, we stop and we have this census. And I think the um, numbers were 25,422 and 788 people now in the country. Uh, the country keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the census is really, it's a very interesting uh, piece of data that comes back and it's our most comprehensive snapshot of the country. And it is very helpful because it tells us how we're changing. Um, and it has data about economics, about social, about cultural issues. It also has some questions about religion. And I'm sure um, if you've been reading the papers, you'd know that that is a question uh, that has come to the fore in terms of people's thinking. And uh, I've just left my clicker at my seat. Just hang on a tick. And the key number that um, people have... Oh, have we got um, the slides? There we go. The key number, uh, actually, I'll just read you this, um, is 40% of people have ticked the um, no religion box. And of course, that has created numbers of headlines. Um, and I'll give you the full numbers, but uh, that has grown every five years. Now, if I can just go back, and what it's done is it's created lots of headlines. And here's one classic one. This is from the ABC, and I understand why they write it. Um, headline wrote, said this, Australians are increasingly unlikely to worship a God and more likely to come from immigrant families. Uh, that's one of the takes from the census data. Now, when you read uh, the article and you have a look at those numbers, um, and the 40% doesn't thrill me, let me say that, um, 
it doesn't appear to be a pretty picture, particularly as a Christian minister. And it does raise numbers of questions around the future of faith and Christianity in the country. And I'm probably not the only one who has been reflecting on this. Um, and so what I thought I'd do today, we're in the school holidays, we've got Kanishka coming next week, we're starting a new series in a fortnight. I thought I'd just stop and reflect on um, where we are as a country, as a faith in that country, and in light of some of the numbers that have come. And let me just say, um, I'm going to interact not just with the census, uh, that's an important thing to interact with, but there's been a number of other couple of studies done at the same time, which give a, if I can say, a more nuanced and helpful picture about the role and place of faith in the country uh, by both the McCrindle organisation and the NCLS people in the last 18 months. And they coincide with the time that the um, census was taken. And it's worth asking the question, I mean, what is the outlook for us as a church in the, in the country? Uh, should we be pessimistic or optimistic about the ministry of the gospel? And an important question, what's the role for the church in society given the rise of people saying no religion? I've got four words uh, to take us through. One is engaged, two is that we've got to be servants, three good losers, and fourth, optimistic. So let's just have a think about those four words. Firstly, engaged. <clears throat> I think importantly and firstly, um, we've got to remember that we've been called to go into the world <clears throat> and we must be engaged. And I think our stance towards the world is also critical. The way we view ourselves in relationship to the world. And the thing I want to remind us of here is, and I'm going to be going through a number of verses, not just the passage we had read to us. Jesus has called us to go into the world. Let me just remind us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew 28. We are to go and make disciples of the nations. Acts 1 verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There is this commissioning of us to go out. Now, it's interesting, when you get to John's Gospel, the commission is not as obvious. But it's there, nonetheless, and it's in John 20, 21. And let me just have a look, put on the screen for you. And he says this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but... The self-description of the Lord Jesus that he most uses in John's Gospel, by my reckoning, is as the one who was sent by the Father. He keeps talking about himself in that language. I've been sent by the Father 40 times. And then he says at the end, and I'm sending you. And where is he sending us? He's sending us into the world. And as we get these numbers... And as you see the rise in people ticking no religion, uh, there's a sense of which we've got to steel ourselves and say, actually, no, we're not going to retreat because I think that's the easy thing to do. And through church history, that has happened on occasions. As the culture has become aggressive against Christian faith, often there's been a temptation to withdraw. We need to do the opposite. We need to be actively involved in the world as disciples of Jesus and serving in his name. We cannot withdraw. And we also need to be a voice in this world and we actually have something positive and helpful to say to it. We have the message of hope and life in the gospel that this world so desperately needs. It's only going to hear it if we're actually there in the world rubbing shoulders with people. 
And I personally think we're now living in a period of significant decline of our Western culture. And it's just been interesting as someone, I'm 58 now, seeing the way culture has changed. The lack of objectivity now in the issues of truth. I've been stunned, and you can ask me afterwards, I won't tell you now some of the stories I've heard, but I keep being stunned by the way truth is now just a relative thing for what I think it is. The rise of entitlement and selfishness continues in our society. Um, I was so struck by Nick Kyrgios the other night, and I'm not the biggest fan of Kyrgios, he plays very good tennis, and he was berating his box because they weren't supporting him enough. <laughs> and I just thought, really? And it's his family, come on. And I'm thinking, it just speaks of this attitude of entitlement. And what we've also seen is, as people have been more self-focused, the loss of community that people are now experiencing. And with that, the rise of mental health issues. There is a significant decline in our Western culture. And when this is what we're living through, what I also observe is that Christians can feel under pressure from the growing secularization of the country. And our great temptation is to retreat, to whinge, or even to lash out and just bemoan the way things are falling apart. And you add to that the perception we get from the media. Now, I'm going to put a quote up. It's from Barney Schwartz. Uh, Barney is a Christian man. He's from Melbourne. And he was the religious editor for The Age for about 10 years, uh, from 2002 through to 2013. And he said this of The Age. They typically only covered three religion stories, priests molesting children, the church in decline, and the troglodyte church holding back women and gays. And he said that's all they'd report on. And that's typical today. That's typically all you'll hear as well. And so there's a perception in the community, and I think also in our heads, that the Christian church is this failing organisation. Now, I want to share some other studies that have been done concurrently with the census. Now, one is from the McCrindle Group, and Mark McCrindle is a Christian, and he is a leading social researcher. He's a futurist, he's a demographer, and, and let me say, government organisations use him, schools, universities, ASX-listed companies, they use him to understand the culture we're in. And he was commissioned by Olive Tree Media, which is Carl Faze's organisation, to do a study called The Impact of Faith on Australian Society. Look at what he discovered. When asked the question on the impact of faith on Australian society historically, this is what people said in February of last year. 78% of Australians agreed, either strongly or moderately or mildly, that the influence of Christianity has shaped the country. And this is a positive thing. 76 believe in varying degrees that it's had a positive impact on society. And 80% agree that the core values of Australian society, such as equality, uh, equal opportunity, honesty, mateship, freedom, and dignity of the individual are influenced by this Christian heritage. It's fascinating, isn't it? In other words, the perception of the majority is actually positive towards the Christian faith in some way, shape, or form. And I want to say this has only happened because Christians have been engaged in Jesus' name in the country. 
And there's all sorts of wonderful things that have taken place because Christians are there serving. Which leads me to my second point, that we need to be servants. The verse I want to bring before us is the famous interchange between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, It's in Mark chapter 10. It is famous. They are jockeying for positions. Who wants to sit on the left or the right? (laughs) And he famously said those words, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he says that after critiquing the leaders of the Gentiles. They want to lord it over each other. They want power. We've actually got to give up the notion that we are at the centre of society now. That's one thing that that number of 40% ticking no religion does tell you. We are now on the margins and the sideline, and that's okay. Historically, the church has done its best work in history from the margins as servants. That's what the Lord Jesus said of himself. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And in this vexed question of what is the relationship between the church and the state and the society we're in, and let me just say, it is not an easy question. You can't give a black and white answer. But I do want to say this. Um, I think there should be some sense, rightly, of separation. But we need them and they need us. And we must be in society as servants of it. Not to lord it over. Not to try and control. The church has done its best works from the margins. And it's interesting, what do you think the nation wants of us as a church? That doesn't mean we necessarily have to do it, but what is their expectation of the church? Now, the NCLS group is the National Church Life Survey Group. They're famous because every five years uh, they survey the church to see what is happening inside church communities now for because of the covid pandemic we have just struggled to actually get it done and we're trying to work out whether it's actually possible but what they've also started to do is what they call the australian community survey and they started that number of years ago and they do it every second year they now do it every year and they survey the community to see what the community thinks about faith and the christian uh, church They ask this question, what roles should religious organisations have in our modern Australian society? Just think through yourself. What responses do you think they'd give? Here are the uh, top ones. Now, it's worth saying that the expectation was that we would run funerals and weddings. Okay, Now, let's take that one out (laughs) because that's an obvious one. The top one, top five, were this. Encourage good morals, support the poor, Provide opportunities for worship, give meaning and direction in life and provide social services. They're the top five. Do you want to know what the lowest score was? Please don't convert me. (laughs) And stop commenting on political issues. Let me put those together. My take on this is that our our community thinks that we have a role to play. And it's actually encouraging. They think that we should be about the business of helping people. And not just materially, but also spiritually. Help the poor, encourage good morals. Help people to understand how to live. 
and live well, as well as provide opportunities for worship. It's fascinating. There is this sense of which that's your business, helping people materially and spiritually. They say, actually, you've got a role to play in the world today doing that. But don't try and convert us. And stop commenting on political issues, which I think particularly plays into the history of the last 10 or 20 years. In the way the church has been so vocal on numbers of issues, particularly about human sexuality. Now, I don't want to withdraw or retract from my position on that, but we have not engaged well in the public sphere on these issues. And my experience as a minister is this. I get no opposition. In fact, I get the opposite. I have open doors to conversations and opportunities to help people and engage with people around the gospel. There is an openness today that we need to recognise. And our country is saying, actually, that's okay. And it's interesting, Mark McCrindle in his study, so I'm going to jump back to the McCrindle study, asked participants, what would most attract you to investigating the Christian faith? What, what is the thing that non-Christian people are saying, that would be the most helpful thing for me wanting to find out about the Christian faith? The top two, 64% said they would either somewhat or strongly be attracted by seeing firsthand Christians live out a genuine faith. In other words, if you actually lived out your faith, we might want to find out about it. The other was testimonies from people who had been changed because of their faith. Now, it's a very telling statistic, isn't it? If the church will actually be what Jesus calls it to be, we might want to have a look at it. (laughs) But stop telling us how to run our lives and getting involved in the politics of the day. This is why we need to be engaged servants who are in the world, who are unashamed to, if I can say, be named as Christians, but are doing it in a way that is winsome and is known by how we serve people. And the stats show that the people who know genuine Christians are actually typically very impressed by them. Which leads me to my third point. We need to be losers. It's a funny statement to say, but actually we need to learn to lose well as the church. The Bible reading today was from John 18, verse 28 to 40. Uh, It is the famous interchange between Pilate and Jesus, uh, the religious leaders who had arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was about to die. Uh, They have done their interrogating. They now hand him over to Pilate on the day of his crucifixion. It's early in the morning. And they basically want Pilate to sign off on his death warrant for crucifixion. And you get that famous exchange and interplay between Pilate. What is truth? And let me read to you from verse 36. Jesus has been asked the question, are you then a king? Because that has been one of the accusations from the religious leaders. This man claims to be a king and they're trying to use, if I can say, the language of Rome. This man is a danger to you. He is seeking to be an alternative to the Caesar. Are you a king then? 
And I love Jesus' reply. He says, look, if my, king, my kingdom is not of this world, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. In other words, I'm not going to win this battle. I could. <laughs> I could call my army of angels down. You'd have no chance. But I'm not going to do that. And he loses. Why? Because his kingdom is from another place. I want you to think about that. Jesus could have sought to fight the unjust charges. He could have used his authority and walked away, but he submitted to the Roman rulers of the day and died. And his victory came in the resurrection, in conquering death and bringing in his kingdom. And it's such a key principle. The kingdom of God is not of this world. I don't think we're trying to make this a Christian country let me just get you to think about that phrase because I, I hear Christians and I see Christians working and I see them use some of the Old Testament passages and I think what they really want to do is they want to have a Christian country governed by a Christian government with Christian rules I don't think that's my goal in Jesus saying pray for the kingdom to come he is praying that God's rule will take place in our lives as we witness to this nation I absolutely want to see this nation one for Christ and for people be, to be turning to Christ in growing numbers but I don't want to get involved in running the nation as the church do you understand what I'm saying now, it will be a blessing for the nation the more Christians there are. But we need to have a healthy separation between the church and the state. And it will be a great thing for the state if Christians are involved in the state. And we absolutely need Christians in politics who are acting as Christians. But my goal here is not to make Australia the Christian nation. It's to bring his kingdom into this nation. And that's going to mean I've got to be prepared to lose when things don't happen the way I like them to happen. And you can't help but reflect on that thing that is most unattractive about the Christian faith in our society today, the way we want to tell the politicians what to do. Matthew 5, verse 38 and 39 says this, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And what he's saying there is um, you need to be prepared to lose and not fight back. And that's the stance we've got to have in this country, particularly as we see this erosion of values that we think are important and we hold on to dearly as Christians. We have to be prepared to lose well. And it doesn't mean we don't speak up, but it will mean that we speak in a way that is gracious and winsome and be happy to lose the debate. Let me talk about one issue that really did get my goat. The Sydney Anglican Diocese giving a million dollars towards the same-sex marriage advertising when we had that vote. 
I don't know if you know that, but the Standing Committee authorised for a million dollars to be given to advertise against same-sex marriage. I only found out about it because it was done literally in the, secret, in the dead of night in Standing Committee when we turned up to Synod a number of years back. And there was just this shock. And I remember thinking, really? All the stats said we we're going to lose anyway. It was absolutely right to stand up and say something. And I spoke on why I was not for same-sex marriage here at St Matthews and gave out some material to help people think through why that's the case. And I don't think it's good for the country. But we had to be prepared to lose well, and that was not losing well. And I rang my bishop and the archbishop to express my opinions graciously, gently, but to say, I just think this is wrong. Because our stance has to be, if that's the way our country wants to go, we've actually got to let them go. And you might say, well, the country's getting darker, and I want to say, yes, it is, and the light of the gospel shines brighter in the darkness. That's our job. It is not to run the country. Though, of course, we want good people running the country, but that's not my job, that's not the church's job. We have to learn to lose well. Honestly, if we had a million dollars that was just floating around in the diocese, I'd say, go and give it to needy people. That would be much better PR. And sadly, that has been the gift that just keeps on giving in a negative way in people's perceptions. But lastly, we need to be optimistic. As I said at the beginning, when the census data came out two weeks ago, the headlines were bleak. Here's another one, SBS News website. Census data released has confirmed Australia is seeing a growing trend away from religion. The stats suggest people should consider themselves non-religious could become the dominant group in coming years overtaking Christianity. That's another joyful note, isn't it? Um, and when you look at the numbers, this is what you see from the census. Um, and I've just got here the last 10 years. So 61% identified as Christian in 211, 52% in 16, and then last year 44%. So that's gone down. What's gone up is people identifying with no religion. Uh, sorry, I've got them around the wrong way. 22% uh, uh, is no religion, 30% uh, five years ago, and 40% now. Okay? What's going on? What is going on? I think this is what's going on. Those who are nominal in their faith are now saying, I'm detaching from organised religion. I think that's what's going on. Now, we need to reckon with these results and we need to take them to heart, but it is worth saying, is it the full story about faith and religion in the country? Now, last year... When the National the NCLS group surveyed the country and did their Australian community surveys, uh, it was done by Dr Ruth Powell. And she's a very experienced researcher. She's an adjunct professor at uh, Charles Sturt University. And she's discovered some things which she said she went back and checked because they surprised her. 
And what they discovered was that there was more to the numbers than what you might think from just reading the ABC or SBS website news articles. There's a perception out there which is different to the reality. Now, I'll give you an illustration of the difference between perception and reality. YouGov did a study on the difference between perception and reality in America, and they asked the question, what is the percentage of Muslims in this country? And do you know what the number that came back was? 27%. There's only about three. What percentage are black Americans? YouGov discovered that the people thought there were 41%. The number is actually 12%. And so there's a difference often in our minds between perception and reality. Now, what's happening in the country is this. Though, in a formal sense, people are detaching who are nominal, people who are genuine in their faith have stabilised, if not growing. Have a look at this number. This is what the NCLS data found out. The frequent religious service attendance, in other words, at least once a month, in 2016 was 18%, 2018 was 20%, 2019 was 22%. It went down in 2020, which was when the pandemic happened, and it went back up again last year to 21%. In other words, there's been this slow increase of people who are going regularly to church. So you've got a decline in nominals, but a slight increase in those who are actually committed and genuine, I would say, in their faith. It's fascinating, isn't it? Nominal religion is falling. And as a country that had a solid Christian influence since colonisation, those who've had nominal faith have sharply declined in recent years. And it seems they feel more emboldened to declare that they have no religion. But at the same time, the attendance of people committed to the Christian faith has stabilised and in some circles is actually increasing. Now here's what's fascinating. And this is what Ruth Powell double-checked. When you break the numbers down for last year, this is what they found. 16%, sorry, uh, yeah, 21%. This is what they found. Have a look. In the age brackets, 18 to 34, so if I can just go back, the overall number for all people is 21% last year. But when you break that down, in the age bracket of 18 to 34-year-olds, it's actually 32%. In the next age bracket, 34 to 49, it's 19%. 50 to 64-year-olds, it's 11%. And then in the 65 plus, which is uh, a lot of us here, it's back at 21%. Now, why don't you ask the question? That number for the um, people in my age bracket, 50 to 64, who are they in our society today? Let me give you some names. They're the Peter Fitzsimons of the world. They're the Jane Carrows of the world. Now, I mention those because they are two vocal critics of the church who are against the Christian faith in the country. Who holds the microphone in our current culture? And that's the words that Ruth Powell said. It's that demographic. They are the ones who are the loudest. I mentioned Jane Caro because um, she wrote an article calling for the removal of funding for Christian chaplaincy in the schools just recently, which John Dixon very helpfully replied to. 
And Peter Fitzsimons has been a noted and loud atheist um, who has attacked the Christian faith. Uh, always done with a wit, but he, he's not our friend at that level. But note what it says about young people. There's an increase. And I love what social commentator and church pastor Mark Sayer said. I'll put it on the screen. The discourse of Australia is driven, in other words, the perception is driven by inner city Melbourne and Sydney, which is all white and secular, but outside the inner city there's so much diversity. Multicultural Australia is highly religious. There is an incredible story happening in multicultural Australia, but that story is never, ever told in the media. It's tricked us into believing that Australia is this post-Christian place. Australia is super religious, but it's just not the story we tell ourselves. It's a fascinating comment. He's a very good thinker. And I'm going to give you two stories from the ground on this. Because I've spoken to a few people about this, and I was talking to Bruce Baird about it. And Bruce has strong connections with all sorts of people outside the church. And I'm going to give you Nathan Campbell's reflections as someone who's younger. Now, Bruce has just gone away with some friends who are in that 50 to 65 demographic. And interestingly, he said, he spoke to them about this census data. And quite a number of them, if not all of them, I can't remember, ticked for the first time the no religion box. And he asked them why. And they would be part of that, what is 11% bracket. And they said they saw enormous hypocrisy of the church on social and moral issues. The number of pedophile priests and the church and them not owning up to their responsibility. They were typically from Catholic background. They said they saw Christian leaders in evangelical churches as well being found to have affairs. There was a disenfranchisement because of the way gays, bisexual and women had been treated. And the church had been co become commentators on social and contemporary issues rather than addressing issues of the disadvantage and the struggling members of the community. Now we might have a disagreement about some of the things they think, but what is very real is that they feel the church is out of touch with modern social issues and that it has not lived with any integrity. And let me just say, it's hard to disagree with some of the issues that they've raised. And so it's no surprise for me that you see this older age group has disengaged. But I want to contrast that with the experience of Nathan Campbell. Now, Nathan is the evangelist for F45 gyms in the country. <laughs> there is one here in Manly. He goes to it religiously. He's the cult leader, is what I call him. And he's got numbers of the staff going to the F45 gym. And let me say, it is good for them. And he said to me, you know, my experience is the exact opposite of Bruce Baird's. They now know I'm the minister down there. And he said they're incredibly curious and just want to ask me questions all the time about faith and Christianity. Because they don't know and they want to know. And I think it's worth noting that. Australia is less Christian than previously. But the gospel is not have, sorry, the nation is not close to the gospel. And there is a knowledge gap about Jesus and the gospel as people have less formal association with the church. And so what is critical is our relationships that we live with authentic faith 
in this country, in our world, in our communities, with non-Christian people, engaged actively as servants, happy to lose on issues of morality in terms of debates and politics, but with a vibrant witness. And we need to be confident. And I'm just going to finish with uh, the words of Romans that we have just been through because we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so, yes, Australia is less Christian than previously, but it is not closed and we need to have an optimism that the gospel is still at work. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for you continuing to be at work in this country. And I just thank you, Lord, that the gospel still is good news and that as culture gets darker and as we go further away from the things of the Christian faith in this country, the reality is that the light of the hope of Jesus shines brighter and help us to have that confidence to be your people and to live vibrant Christian lives in the world and be ready to speak as we serve and care for people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing.
Would you raise your hand and we'll make sure you've got one. Michael need one, needs one down here. Anybody else? All good, okay. And it will be helpful if you just take the, uh, the plastic and the foil off so you've got that ready to enjoy together in a few minutes. listening to Bruce uh, speak and uh, contemplating sharing together in the Lord's Supper, um, I was reflecting on what Bruce was saying about God's call for us to serve others uh, and there's nothing really that um, demonstrates the way in which Jesus was sent to serve us than when he went to the cross. And uh, so as we take the bread and we drink from the cup this morning, uh, it's a reminder to us of our calling to follow the one who came to serve. Uh, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you into the world. And that, that is our calling. So it really takes us back to the heart of our faith. Now let me read for you as uh, we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper from the invitation to join in from the, um, from the Book of Common Prayer with slightly modernised language. It says, brothers and sisters in Christ, we who come to receive the Holy Communion of the body and blood of our Saviour Christ can come only because of his great love for us. For although we are completely undeserving of his love, yet in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life as God's sons and daughters, our Saviour Christ humbled himself to share in our life and to die for us on the cross in remembrance of his death and as a pledge of his love, Jesus instituted this holy sacrament which we're now to share. But those who would eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord must examine themselves and amend their lives. They must come with a repentant heart and steadfast faith. Above all, they must give thanks to God for his love towards us in Christ Jesus. To you then who truly turn from your sins and are reconciled with others, intending to lead a new life of joyful obedience to God, draw near with faith, take this bread and cup to strengthen and sustain you. But first, let us make a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God. So I invite you to join me in this prayer of confession. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done 
and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent, according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. As we read on through the book of Romans, uh, when we come back to it, we'll read this from chapter, chapter 8. Words of tremendous reassurance. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now listen to the way that the scriptures describe what took place on the night of Jesus' betrayal, the, the night before he went to the cross. It says, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So friends, let's take the bread. And as we eat, let's... Do so with thanksgiving as we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And as we drink from the cup, let's remember the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood, which brought forgiveness for us and be thankful. Let's pray together this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication to God. Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Okay, so I invite you to stand as we get ready for the close of the formal part of our gathering and as I invite you to join us for morning tea across in the function room. Let me just remind you what we've heard today. Uh, the news we've heard as we've listened to uh, the various media that we have access to that's come out of the census sounds like bad news uh, for God's name in Australia. And yet as we've uh, had a look at some other surveys other than just the, the, um, the NCLS, we've seen that there, there is actually some good news about genuine faith being expressed in Christ in the lives of people here in Australia. And we've also heard from the scriptures 
uh, the confidence we have and the call we have to go as the Lord Jesus sent his first disciples and to go with confidence and with optimism uh, that the word of Jesus gives great power as we seek to live for him as his servants, as we live as people of integrity. So friends, let's uh, say together this blessing. If it comes up, if, have we got it on the screen there? Yes. Let, let's, um, let's say this to one another as we, um, as we uh, farewell one another today. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. Okay. I'm going to, we're going to do that again, and I'm going to say it as you say it. I'm re reading from the screen at the back. Let's say it again. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, fill our hearts and minds with all joy and peace in believing. Amen. Amen.